In the 9th century, the Kingdom of Wessex reigned supreme over the south of England, with King Alfred being the only king in England that had been successful in repelling the great heathen army. The army had arrived after the death of Ragnar Lothbrok in the year 865. By the year 878, all of the commanding Ragnarsons were dead, with their armies scattered. Guthrum had taken command of the remnants of the great heathen army, and had King Alfred on the run. Guthrum would launch a surprise attack on Alfred's court at Chippenham, with the king barely escaping with his life. Alfred would go into exile into the marshes of Somerset, and Guthrum had just taken the last kingdom, Wessex. However, Alfred would not give up hope. He would launch a guerrilla type of warfare, wearing Guthrum's forces down, and inspiring the other Saxons that they could retake their kingdoms. Alfred knew he had to defeat Guthrum with a decisive battle, and he called upon the Saxons loyal to him. Eventually, Alfred's Saxon forces would meet Guthrum's Viking army in 878. Alfred's warriors fighting on foot confronted the Norsemen who had formed a dense shield wall. The battle was a shower of blood, and according to the chronicler Asa, this is what happened. Alfred overthrew the pagans with great slaughter, and smiting the fugitives, he pursued them as far as the fortress. Guthrum would submit to Alfred, and would accept to be baptised, and adopted the baptismal name of Ethelstan, and Alfred the Great would become his godfather. Guthrum would then return to East Anglia, he would cease to be a threat, and ruled for over a decade as a Christian king. After an age of war, Alfred had brought some stability to the land, but the Ragnarsons had laid the foundation for other Viking warlords to sail to England, as they had heard the tales of how the sons of Ragnar had taken and ravaged the land, and had made themselves kings. By the year 886, Alfred recaptured the city of London, and entrusted it to his son-in-law Ethelred, the Elderman of Mercia, who had become the ruler of Mercia shortly after the death of the puppet king Seolwulf in the year 879. Due to Alfred being the one man that could unite the Saxons against the Vikings, he would style himself as King of the Anglo-Saxons, having far more power and influence than simply that of his kingdom. In the year 890, Guthrum the King of East Anglia would die. This would change the political landscape, as all of the original East Anglian royalty were dead, and their lines diminished, so East Anglia was ripe for the taking, with new warlords eager to take advantage. By the year 899, Alfred would die, being remembered to history as Alfred the Great, due to his resilience against the Viking invaders. Upon the death of a king, chaos usually follows, and the son of Alfred's fallen older brother would seek the throne for himself. After King Ethelred I of Wessex died from his wounds after a battle against the great heathen army, the warriors of Wessex looked to the warrior Prince Alfred to lead them, as he had already fought in countless battles, and Ethelred's son Ethelwold was a child. But now Alfred was dead, and Ethelwold saw himself as the Etheling and heir to the throne. However, according to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, in the year 900, Edward was crowned king, 
Ethelwold then, without the king's leave or the Wittons, took his force of loyalists to seize the market town of Wimborne, the burial place of his father, King Ethelred. He then took control of another town called Christchurch, and awaited Edward's response. Edward would swiftly assemble an army, but Ethelwold would refuse to meet his cousin in battle. He instead stayed at Wimborne with his men plotting. They would kidnap a nun with Ethelwold, declaring he would live or die there. Ethelwold didn't attack his cousin Edward from inside the town. He instead chose to flee and ride north in the dead of night. He went to Northumbria and appealed for support from the Vikings, and they would pledge their allegiance to him. Many Vikings had not forgotten the back-to-back -back battles Ethelwold's father Ethelred fought against the great heathen army and the Ragnarsons. They even bought into his story of how he had been robbed of his birthright. Countless warriors would swear oaths to him. Coins were even minted during this period, showing Ethelwold as the king of Jorvik. In the autumn of the year 901, Ethelwold sailed with a fleet to Essex. By the year 902, he had formed an alliance with Yorick, the Viking king of East Anglia, and now had his forces under his influence. He would travel throughout the Danelaw, making it known he was the true heir to the crown of Wessex, and no doubt, promised the Vikings much should he ascend to the throne. He and his new vast army would attack deep into Mercia, and would also ravage northern Wessex. Edward would retaliate by raiding in East Anglia, causing much devastation, causing Ethelwald's forces there to retreat. As King Edward withdrew his forces from East Anglia, the men of Kent lingered, and the Danes would catch up with them. This would culminate in the Battle of Holm. The finer details of the battle were unknown, but the result was a Viking victory. However, they suffered heavy losses, including the ruler of East Anglia, Eoric, and Ethelwald himself lay amongst the fallen. This bloody battle ended Ethelwald's revolt and the fight for the throne of Wessex. Following the death of Ethelwald, Edward sought to expand his kingdom through conquest. Edward immediately turned his attention towards the neighbouring kingdoms of Mercia and East Anglia, which were weak and disunited after years of Viking attacks, and there was no longer a clear Saxon royal family for both kingdoms, as their lines had been erased by the great heathen army. As one of the most powerful and influential women of the early 10th century, Lady Ethelfled was known for her shrewd decision-making and strategic genius. She understood the importance of expanding the borders of Mercia in order to consolidate power and increase security against outside threats. To this end, she launched a series of successful military campaigns alongside her brother Edward to strengthen both Wessex and Mercia. Following the defeat of Ethelwald's revolt, Three Viking warlord brothers, Ingwaird, Eolis and Halfdan, would claim Viking Northumbria and were successfully able to establish their rule as kings there. The population of the Danelaw was boosted when in the year 902, Vikings from Dublin arrived after being ejected from their kingdom. Throughout the first decade of the 10th century, the Viking kings in Northumbria carried out raids in Anglo-Saxon lands 
This was done to test the resolve of the new King Edward of Wessex. By the year 910, the Viking kings of Northumbria had gathered their strength and decided to march south, attacking Mercia. Ethelfled would meet the three Viking kings at Tettenhall with an army. Also present was her brother Edward with the forces of Wessex. The allies of Wessex and Mercia trapped their Viking enemy and inflicted such a slaughter that it was reported in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle that thousands of men were killed. The three Viking kings of Northumbria were slain there on the battlefield. Edward then looked to the Danelaw and saw it was ripe for the taking, with many of their kings having fallen in recent battles. Before marching into the Danelaw and taking it with all-out war, Edward had to secure the defences of his own kingdom. So he and his sister Ethelfled began the construction of many fortresses in order to safeguard their lands against Viking invasions. This would last from the years 911 to 917. The year 917 would prove to be the decisive year in the war between Saxon and Viking. The Vikings attacked Edward's fortress at Towchester and Bedford in Mercia, but the attacks were failures. The Vikings also had their own strongholds, one being at Tepsford, on the border of East Anglia and Mercia, but the English forces stormed it in retaliation. Edward knew it was essential to build new fortresses to defend his lands, and that he had to take the strongholds away from the Vikings in order to be recognised as the overlord of the Saxons. So in the year 917, Edward would command his forces to storm the stronghold at Tepsford, which would result in battle. The forces of Wessex would storm the fortified settlement and would slay all in their path. During the blood rage of the soldiers, the Danish king of East Anglia was killed, as were his Jarls. The Viking forces of Northampton, Cambridge and East Anglia would soon submit to Edward after the Battle of Tepsford, something which his father Alfred could only dream of. In the year 918, Ethelfled, the Lady of Mercia, would die, and Edward would swiftly remove Elfwyn, Ethelfled's daughter, as the ruler of Mercia, and would absorb it into his own kingdom. The Danelaw was crumbling, their numbers dwindling, and many of their kings had been killed by the English. This effectively marked the end of the resistance from the other kingdoms, allowing Edward to finally unite the majority of England under the Wessex banner. With Mercia now under his control, and the throne of East Anglia vacant, Edward would assume his rule there, and became Mercia and East Anglia's overlord. Edward, through strategy, his warrior status, the help of his sister Lady Ethelfled, and the blueprint which his father Alfred had laid out, effectively allowed him to become the King of Wessex, Mercia and East Anglia. All that was left was the last kingdom. Northumbria. Edward the Elder was the most powerful of the Saxon kings at the time, and the power he held was considerable compared to that of his father Alfred. He also had about 14 children from three different marriages. This would become problematic, as upon the death of a king, chaos ensues. Ethelstan was born in the year 894, and he was the oldest son of Edward the Elder 
and his first wife, Egwin, but virtually nothing is known of her life and descent. It is not known what became of Ethelstan's mother, but his father King Edward would marry again, and he would have two half-brothers, Elfweird and Edwin. Edward the Elder would die on the 17th of July in the year 924. Both of his sons, Ethelstan and Elfweird, had ambition to be king. It is unclear who Edward wanted to be king after his death, and this would cause further death. Ethelstan was acknowledged as the king in Mercia, probably due to him growing up there with his aunt Ethelfled and having fought alongside the men. He also most likely got on well with the Mercian nobles, making him the obvious choice as their next king. Meanwhile in Wessex, they chose Ethelstan's half-brother Elfweird as king, once again dividing the kingdoms. However, Elfweird would die just 16 days after his father Edward. His cause of death is unknown. Due to his cause of death being unrecorded, it is possible he was assassinated on the orders of Ethelstan himself, in order for him to become the king of all of Wessex as well as Mercia. Wessex would not proclaim Ethelstan as their king for some time, remaining defiant, furthering the suggestion that he killed his own brother. But he was ultimately crowned the king of Mercia and Wessex in the year 925. Schemes and plots would follow Ethelstan even after his coronation. An unknown nobleman planned to blind Ethelstan on account of rumours of Ethelstan being an illegitimate son of Edward, making him a bastard, and thus not the true king. Blinding would have made Ethelstan unable to rule and lead his men, which would have made him step down as king. It is unknown if this plot was arranged by his other half-brother Edwin, but one thing was apparent, Wessex still didn't stand with their king. It seems a rebellion against Ethelstan was organised from within the royal house of Wessex itself. According to William of Malmesbury, Edwin planned to replace Ethelstan by having him blinded. Ethelstan then sent his brother into the sea on a leaking ship, with no oars or food, a cruel way to be condemned to death. Despairing, Edwin threw himself into the sea to drown. Ethelstan had by now most likely killed both of his brothers, and was now the overlord of Wessex, Mercia and East Anglia. His reign would begin with kinslaying and bloodshed, an omen of what his rule would bring to the people of his newly acquired kingdoms. Ethelstan now looked north to the work of his father Edward the Elder and his aunt Ethelfled, who had conquered the Danish territories in Mercia and East Anglia. Ethelstan now knew that the conquest of the entire Danelaw and Northumbria were possible. He just needed to wait for the right time to strike. Sitragur was the Viking king in Dublin and Northumbria, and was ruling York at the time of Ethelstan's ascent to power. He was a descendant of Ivar the Boneless, and belonged to the royal house of the Uyamere, a royal Norse-Gale dynasty which ruled much of the Irish Sea region, the Kingdom of Dublin, the western coast of Scotland, and some parts of northern England from the mid-9th century. Ethelstan's grandfather Alfred had fought Ivar, and both men had gone on to forge kingdoms and legacies. Due to this, Ethelstan thought to join their families, 
and he gave. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K N I X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ditriga, his sister to wife. This would broker a peace in the north, and Ethelstan would now have further influence there. The marriage took place in Mercia, in the royal centre at Tamsworth, where it seems Sitriga converted to Christianity. Soon after, however, he renounced his wife and reverted to paganism. However, a war between Sitriga and Ethelstan is not attested in any source. Sitriga died the following year in the year 927, still young according to the Annals of Ulster, and the cause of death remains unknown. A trend was now appearing. Powerful men with ties to Ethelstan who had slighted him all turned up dead shortly after, due to mysterious circumstances. Sitriga's cousin Goffraid was quickly proclaimed the King of Northumbria, Having sailed from Dublin with many warriors, he laid claim to the throne. However, Ethelstan would march north, and according to William of Malmesbury, following Citrica's death, Ethelstan would meet his successor Goffraid in Scotia, in a meeting with many other high kings of Britain. After the meeting, Goffraid would lead a force to York, but Ethelstan would turn on the Vikings once they began besieging the city, and started to slaughter them, and captured their leader, Goffraid. The city was looted by the Anglo-Saxons. Goffraid, the leader of the Irish Vikings, was allowed to live, but he left England, and was recorded to have never returned. The Vikings in York would now submit to Ethelstan, and proclaim him as king, after a simple power play. Northumbria had just fallen to Ethelstan, and his conquest of the Danelaw was now complete. He was now not just the King of the Saxons, but the King of the English. A meeting would soon be held, with all of the earls and kings in the north, and something truly legendary was about to take place. King Owain of Strathclyde, King Constantine of Alba, Ildred of Bambra, and Howell of Wales, all submitted to Ethelstan in the year 927, 
and accepted his supremacy. Ethelstan was now the most powerful king in the history of the Kings of Wessex and the British Isles. However, the North had always resisted southern rule and preferred to ally themselves with pagan kingdoms such as Norse Dublin due to a difference in culture, religion and history. Ethelstan remained an outsider in the North and his rule there would prove difficult. Although he was the first southern king in history to have taken the north, the resistance to his overlordship was to be expected. Nevertheless, Ethelstan's overlordship and power was respected and feared, which led to seven years of peace in the north. By the year 934, Ethelstan would look even further north. The kings of the north had sworn allegiance to him, but they wanted their kingdoms and independence back. They would plot in the shadows until their time came to strike. King Constantine of Alba would break the peace treaty, forcing Ethelstan's hand. In the year 934, Ildred of Bambra would die, and Ethelstan and Constantine would dispute over the Northumbrian territory, causing the invasion of Scotland. At this point, Ethelstan had united all mainland England and had a monstrous army with the men of all faiths and cultures. Saxon men stood with him, as did the Vikings, and so did the Welsh. On Ethelstan's march north, four Welsh kings accompanied him, as did thirteen earls, conveying his power and supremacy above all other kings. Ethelstan and his men would make their way to Scotland by land and sea, engulfing the Scottish soil. His army reached as far north as Dunnetter Castle, which is the furthest north any English army had ventured since the year 685. According to the 12th century chronicler Simeon of Durham, his land forces ravaged as far as Dunnetter in northern Scotland, while the fleet raided in Cathness. According to legend, Constantine recognised the power of Ethelstan and was faced with a difficult situation. To meet Ethelstan in open battle and risk defeat and surrender of the kingship of Scotland, or to try something else. He chose instead to take refuge in the great impregnable fortress at Dunnetter. Constantine was safe in his castle, but the whole of Britain had united, and Constantine saw his lands burning, and the Scots were being slaughtered, so he would sue for peace. Constantine would then accompany Ethelstan on his return south, and would swear his oaths of fealty. Ethelstan had now shown the British Isles the forces he could summon, and this display of power showed him as the most powerful king in living memory. Constantine the King of Alba had gone against his will, which resulted in war, but he was luckier than most, for he was left alive and didn't die mysteriously in the chronicles after the disagreement with the English king. Nevertheless, Scotland was ravaged by the English invasion that effectively allowed Ethelstan to become the overlord of Scotland, while allowing Constantine to keep his title of king. Ethelstan had now shown all the northern and Scottish kings that they were no match for him, and that they could stand and die, or submit and live. 
the flames of war were ever apparent, and Ethelstan had made the North and Scotland bleed. Uniting them into his own kingdom would prove extremely difficult, as their leaders were bent on independence. In the year 934, Anulf Guthrinson succeeded his father Godfrey of Ivar as the Norse King of Dublin. Anulf would turn his attention towards Northumbria, a largely pagan land that had once been ruled by his father, but it had fallen to King Ethelstan. There was a growing power looming in the south. Ethelstan, the son of Edward the Elder, was determined to unite England under the House of Wessex, and he had a vision for himself as the master of all Britain, dreaming of what no Roman Viking or Saxon king had ever done before. A few years after the invasion of Scotland, Anulf would marry King Constantine's daughter, cementing an alliance between the King of Dublin and the King of Alba. Factions were forming. Constantine had been conquered and humiliated by Ethelstan, and Anulf's father was exiled from Jorvik and had to renounce his kinship there while being betrayed by the English king. Both men had their reasons to hate Ethelstan, and it seems the King of Wessex's fragile peace was dissolving. So in the year 937, King Anulf and King Constantine would join forces with King Owain of Strathclyde in an alliance against King Ethelstan. Virtually all the kings that had sworn loyalty to him in the year 927 had now turned against him. Alone, they couldn't even challenge him, but together, they thought they could crush him and take their lands and independence back. The three allied kings, with their Scottish, Irish and Northern army, would plunder English territory in the summer of the year 937, with their aim being to dissolve England and break Ethelstan's source of power. This would culminate in the Battle of Brunanborough, and the victor would have England's fate in their hands. Ethelstan's army consisted of the men of Wessex, the Mercians, the Welsh, and many Vikings from the Danelaw and East Anglia. He had united most of England against the allied forces of the Irish Vikings and the modern-day Scottish forces. The invading armies entered England in two waves, Constantine and Owain coming from the north, raiding on their way south, while Anulf's forces would join them on the way. Ethelstan and his army would travel north through Mercia, where he met the invading forces of the Scots and Vikings at Brunanborough. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, the battle lasted all day. Both sides would fight valiantly, but there were never so many dead in one place in England's history. The two armies would soon clash. Ethelstan's forces would make a shield wall and would hammer and drive their enemies back. Soon enough, an all-out battle would take place, and it was devastating. According to a poem called The Battle of Brunanborough, this is what transpired. Never has there been a greater slaughter since the Angles and the Saxons came here from the east. There was a period of prolonged fighting before Ethelstan's army began to overwhelm the invaders. It was a bloodbath, with many men being slain. The kings would fight valiantly, but God was with Ethelstan and his forces that day. Ethelstan's army would give chase 
slaying many enemy troops. According to the Annals of Ulster, the battle was described as great, lamentable, and horrible, and records that several thousands of Norsemen fell. Among the casualties were five kings and seven earls from Anulf's family. Constantine also lost several friends, including his son. The result of the battle was a victory for Ethelstan and his warriors, but thousands would lay dead on the battlefield. Many petty kings, princes and English nobles died in the battle, including two of Ethelstan's cousins. Ethelstan and his nobles would be in the thick of the fighting, leading their men to victory. For generations, this would be remembered as the Great Battle. King Anulf escaped back to Dublin, and King Constantine lost a son. Anulf remained King of Dublin, but his ambitions to take back Northumbria and York were lost for a time. Ethelstan saved England from the wrath of the allied kings of the north, but his lordship over them was lost, and he no longer held the influence he did years earlier. Before, he had ruled most of Scotland, Strathclyde, and had united the Danelaw and the Viking city of York. But after the great battle, Ethelstan's influence in Scotland and Strathclyde would dwindle. He now only held the lands up to Northumbria, which would still resist southern rule. Ethelstan would die in the year 939. He never married, nor fathered children, and the crown would pass to his younger brother Edmund. As soon as Ethelstan died, the men of York chose the Viking King of Dublin, Anulf, as their king, and the Anglo-Saxon control of the north collapsed. While Ethelstan was alive, he was in control of nearly the whole of Britain until the rebellion of the northern kings. Ethelstan's hold over Britain wouldn't be seen again by any other Saxon king. The Anglo-Saxon control of the north would collapse, and united England became nothing but a memory. By the end of the year 939, Anulf returned to England and was crowned in York. The following year, he invaded East Mercia, aiming to recover lost parts of the Kingdom of York that had been conquered by Edward the Elder and his sister Ethelfled, the Lady of the Mercians. Simeon of Durham's Historia Regum, it records that Anulf and the new English king Edmund met at Leicester in the year 939 and came to an agreement on dividing England between the two of them. On the death of either, the survivor would inherit the whole country. But he would soon die in the year 941. At the time of his death, the Irish annals titled him the King of the Danes, being the great-grandson of Ivar the Boneless. His name held a lot of weight in early medieval Britain. With Anulf's death, Edmund would take the land back he had lost in the year 942. He would recover the five boroughs, and his victory was considered so valuable that it was commemorated by a poem in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Here King Edmund, Lord of the English, Guardian of Kinsmen, Beloved Instigator of Deeds, Conquered Mercia and the Five Boroughs, The Protector of Warriors, King Edmund. Anulf was succeeded as the King of York by his cousin Olaf Sidrikson, who was baptised in the year 943, 
with Edmund as his godfather, suggesting he accepted Edmund's overlordship. This was common, much like when Edmund's grandfather Alfred the Great baptised Guthrum after much war. However, just a year later, Edmund would march to Northumbria and would invade the city of York with the help of the turncloak Archbishop Wolfston, who had previously supported the Vikings. He continued pressing north and marched a combined army of English and Welsh into Strathclyde. Edmund and his army would ravage the land, burning villages and sacking cities. Much of Edmund's rule was spent fighting the Vikings in the north in the aftermath of the death of his older brother Ethelstan. However, Edmund would effectively create the border of England with Scotland, cementing the English lands and what would be called England. In just three generations, from Alfred the Great to Edward the Elder to Ethelstan and Edmund, they had retaken the lands of England that were nearly lost to the great heathen army back in the year 865, from Wessex falling to Guthrum, to Alfred defeating him against the odds, to Edward and Ethelfled expanding Mercia and Wessex, and then Ethelstan conquering the whole north and unifying Britain by the sword. The journey of how the House of Wessex became the Kings of England is an incredible story. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, make sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile.